You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, again, it's great to see you guys here today. It's been kind of a special week for my family. Uh, yesterday, I got to celebrate my wife Micah's birthday, and so uh, it's been a, a, a great reminder every time we kind of celebrate her, um, just as an amazing wife and mother to our kids. Like, to our church, she's been incredible. Like, when we first started the church, she was on the setup takedown team. She was running kids' ministry. She was on the hospitality team. Well, matter of fact, she was the hospitality team. Um, and then here, she's leading our kids' ministry again, started our five-day-a-week program. She's just done so much. And so uh, I hope you'll appreciate her today. <laughs> Biggest thing she does for me is I walk off this stage sometimes, and I'm like, man, that was terrible. They, nobody got anything I was trying to say. It was so boring. And you know, right when I'm about to step off the ledge into depression, she's like, hey, honey, that was great. I loved it when you said, and this boom, I'm back on top. And so uh, she's uh, an, an inspiration to me. So, so thankful for her. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Daniel chapter six. I'll never forget, um, I went to South Africa three times on, on a mission trip, and, and uh, one time in particular, we went to this um, area where you could pay $1 to go pet the lions. And so uh, we stepped into this space and these lions were like 10 weeks old. They were the cutest little kittens that you've ever seen and uh, just with a lot sharper teeth and sharper claws. But like they had toys in there and so we're playing and it's just so cute and they're like running on you and stuff and you just thought, man, this is, this is incredible. This is a, a baby lion, you know? And then the guy came in and said, okay, we go see the big ones. And I went, oh, I didn't sign up for no big ones. No, you know, what, what is that? And he was like, oh, no, they're not that big. They're not that big. Come on, we'll, we'll go look. So we go into the next area. And the next area, uh, these lions were like teenage lions. And so they were like 70, 80 pound type lions. And so I don't know if you've ever walked up onto a big dog, like a Doberman Pinscher or something like that. And you're just like, whoa, you know, I walked into that and I had to change my pants like I froze. <laughs> it, it was intense. And, and so we walk in there and at, at first, you know, you're really intense intimidated, you're really scared, and the guy's like, hey, he can smell fear, don't be afraid, and so you're like, ah, I don't know what to do, you know, and so the more we're in there, the more familiar we get, and the more playful they become, and they had these massive burlap bags in there that you're supposed to play tug-of-war with these animals, and they're just like so strong, they're like, you know, throwing you around, and, and so they're like, yeah, it's not going to hurt you, it's not going to hurt you, um, but just like sin sometimes, the more familiar you get with an animal like this, the more playful and the more you let your guard down, that's when they bite. That's when sin bites and takes you further than you were willing to go. And that's what happened to my buddy at that time. Out of nowhere, one of these lions just decided to bite down on the back of his leg. No joke, right on his calf muscle, wham, and just wouldn't let go. Blood is pouring out, and he's like, it's biting me! You know, He's holding on to the edge of the fence. He's like, help me! You know, I wish in that moment as a college student, I had the bravery to muster up to rescue my friend, but I didn't like him that much. <laughs> and I froze as well as everybody else on the trip. We froze. Some guys were jumping over the fence because all the lion buddies start to look at us differently in this moment. All the lion buddies, they're like, oh, I didn't know we could do this. We, we can do that. And it's like, you know, the old Tom and Jerry commercials where, you know, Tom the cat would look at Jerry and, and, and he would turn into like this turkey leg. 
Like that's what these lines are. I'm turkey dinner, right? Like the Thanksgiving turkey, they're looking at me and they're starting to salivate and we get really, really scared. And it's in that moment, like the, the keeper of the animals comes in, he like punches the animal a couple times in the nose and he finally lets go. He had to hit him like three times. And uh, then we all, I mean, blood is poured. And I was like, man, that was quite the experience, heart racing, right? And uh, I learned in that moment, that's the day that I learned not to play with lions. Like <laughs> they'll do that ever, ever again. And you know what's interesting is when you look at the scripture, the enemy, Satan, is described as a lion. You remember this verse in 1 Peter chapter five where Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, if you play around with the lion, he will eventually bite your leg off. And so as we jump into our text this morning, I think it's important to remember that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. He wants to destroy your faith, he wants to ruin your marriage, he wants to get you so focused on worldly things that you don't have time for the things of God's kingdom. The enemy wants you to doubt God's promises. He wants to tempt you so that you would play around with sin and, and try it out, get familiar with it. He wants to bring adversity into your life because for many of us, when we face the trial, when we face adversity, we wanna give up. We wanna doubt God, we, we get discouraged and in those moments, we really begin to discover who and what we really worship. I know some of you walk in here today and you're facing various challenges. You walk in here facing divorce. You walk in here facing maybe one of your kids are, are going through an extremely difficult challenge. You walk in here with financial difficulties. You walk in here just feeling lonely and empty. And, and the great news for us today is that we can find hope and we can find, find power, we can find strength in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful that the word of God brings us answers today. And especially with stories like we're gonna read today, this is probably one of the most famous passages and stories in the entire Bible. It's Daniel and the lion's den. And Daniel's faith through this trial, through this adversity, again, I hope brings us to a new level of faith and energy and strength and courage in our own life. The title of today's message is Lion's Den Faith That Changes the World. Because for us in this series, we've been talking about, we don't just wanna endure this culture. We're not just here to live out our days and then die and be buried. We're here to make an impact. God wants us to influence the culture in your family. He wants you to influence the culture on your campus at school. He wants to, you to influence the culture of your work environment. So how do we do that? How are we going to be able to, in fact, on a practical level, start to influence the culture around us. Today, I hope, is an encouragement. Today, I wanna to talk about how to demonstrate your trust in God. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you think you believe up here, how you live your life, the, the faith that you demonstrate to the world is actually what's going to influence it. Not what you think, not what you've written down, not, not just simply what you say, it's how you live your life. And so we look to the life of Daniel today, we see how he is demonstrating his faith and we wanna look at what he did and how he did it and apply that to our lives so that we can be like him and, and influence the culture around us. See God do amazing things. Well, in chapter six of Daniel, 
A little context here, time has flown by. In, in the life of Babylon, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has died, his son took over, and then the Medes, the Persians, came in and conquered Babylon. A new king is on the scene, his name is Darius. And so here's Daniel again, facing a complete life change. He was ruling Babylon. He, was, he had favor in the eyes of the king, right? He, he had been promoted and blessed. He was, he was living the dream again at this point. And then it's all potentially taken away again with the new country, a new king, a new boss that's taken over. Let's jump into verse one of chapter six, see what happens next. Scripture says this, it pleased Darius, that's the king, to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. That's essentially a governor, a ruler of various areas. And over them, three high officials, of whom David was one. So he was a high official over all of those rulers, to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all, underline that, the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So again, he's placed over the entire kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. What's happening here is that with this new king, he comes onto the scene, and yet again, Daniel gets promoted. Verse three says he's distinguished above all of them. He's got a new king, a new boss, and he manages to get promoted yet again. And I just wonder how in the world does this guy continue, uh, continually get the praise of the people around him and what is he doing that would lead them to promote him to lead and, and, and bring this blessing into his life? I think it's real simple when you dial into it. What's really happening here is his, his faith isn't just a private matter. His faith isn't just something that he believes in his mind, in his life. It was a lifestyle that he lived. He was living out his trust in God. And so today what I want us to look at is how do we demonstrate trust in God? Because essentially, I think what, that's what we're getting at here. To, to, to have a lion's den faith that changes the world, we have to trust God in every situation that we face. And as we trust God through that situation, as we walk through the fire, so to speak, then it is how God blesses us and uses us in that situation. It's how people around us see how we handle ourselves, see what we do, see how we act, see what we say, and it's in that moment that we influence the majority and the most people. In verse three, he is distinguished above all. So what's distinguishing him? What, what is the trust in God that's distinguishing him? And I've got a few things to share with you today. The first thing in verse three, it says he has an excellent spirit. So what I want you to write down is he demonstrated a good attitude. If you wanna put your faith and trust in God and begin to impact the world around you, it's very simple, start by demonstrating a good attitude. Now you might think that's just too easy and yeah, but there's so many things to complain about. I, I don't have a perfect marriage, I, I need more money, I need this and God's not showing up here and God's not doing this. Listen, I, I know it's really easy for us to come up with a list of things that we're not happy with and that aren't perfect in our life. But if we wanna make an impact in the world, then we've got to begin to demonstrate a good attitude 
In fact, the only way that you're able to demonstrate this good attitude is if you have allowed the Holy Spirit of God to begin to change you from the inside out. If you haven't given God permission to change you, if you haven't submitted yourself under him and said, God, this is my pride, this is my temper, this is my anger, this is my lack of patience, God, begin to change me. This is my selfishness and confess that to him and invite him to change your heart, then, then you'll be just like everybody else complaining about you know, the latest thing that whatever the political pundits are complaining about, complaining about our country, complaining about all the things you don't have. But Daniel saw the good in others. Daniel had an excellent spirit. He had a good attitude. He was able to maintain patience in, in, in adversity when things were getting intense. He didn't, he didn't just speak out of turn. He didn't, he didn't um, you know, he, he wasn't unkind to people. You know, he, he wasn't yelling at people in, in, when he disagreed. He, he had an excellent spirit about him. He had a way in which that he communicated to people that was able to show respect, show love, and at the same time, be a leader. Think about it. Do you have a good attitude today? Are you looking at all the things you don't have? Or have, have you just decided to focus on all the things you don't have? Here's what I know about people with a bad attitude. Nobody wants to be around them. Anybody like have a friend that has a bad attitude and you just love hanging out with them? I mean, no, you're like, we don't want to hang out with those people. We, we typically stay away from those people. But if you're the boss and everybody has to show up to work, not only are they forced to be around you, but you're making their life miserable. Daniel had a good attitude. He had an excellent spirit about him. Um, negative people always expect the bad to happen. They're always looking for the bad thing that's gonna happen. Now, positive people, they're, they're not naive, like everything's gonna be peaches and cream all the time, but they do have an expectation that they're gonna go in and they're gonna be thankful for what they do have. They're gonna be thankful for what God is doing in their life, and they're gonna focus on that. They're gonna focus on the direction that God wants them to go, even if they are in a trial, even if their situation is challenging and difficult, even when they have a lot of confusion in their life, they're trusting in God. You see, I, I think Daniel had a positive attitude, but I think this excellent spirit even, even goes deeper than that, because I think that, that what's happening here is that, that he's exhibiting the holiness of God in his life. So for us in the New Testament, when you commit your life to Jesus, God gives you the spirit of God to live within you. And so that your, your inside, your spirit begins to change. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it talks about how we are being transformed in the image of Christ. And so are you allowing the spirit of God to change you? If he's within you, then it could be a, a really good question to ask your small group, to ask your spouse, and just say, hey, Am I different than the way that I was six months ago? Or am I still mean and ornery and hateful? Is my patience still terrible? Have I improved at all? Have you seen anything in me that shows that God is beginning to change me? That's a scary question to ask somebody, especially your wife. <laughs> but if you will, in a humble spirit, man, think of the ways in which God could bless you and, and, and change you and grow you together. Just admitting that, I, I know I'm not perfect, I know I don't have it figured out, but I wanna trust in, in, in what God is doing and I'm gonna focus on the good things that he's doing and that excellent spirit, that good attitude begins to allow you to impact people around you. If nobody wants to be around somebody with a negative attitude, then I guess it's important that we focus on the good things that God has done in our life so that we can have more influence in our life. That's the first thing. Second thing to write down, if you're gonna demonstrate this trust in God is you're gonna live with integrity. 
So in your Bible, in verse five, circle this word faithful. Daniel was faithful, okay? So that means that he was somebody that other people could count on. You could count on Daniel to show up to work on time. You could count on Daniel to pay you when the bill is due. You could count on Daniel that when he said he was gonna be there, he was gonna be there. He was gonna do the work that was required of him. Listen, young people, if you'll show up on time and do what you say, you'll be ahead of 90% of the people in the rest of the world. Like those two simple things could propel you into success if you just got serious about that. And so he's living a faithful life. Not only faithful in the sense that he showed up and people could count on him, but he's faithful to God. He's faithful to the God that he served. Some of you have, have made a commitment to be a partner here at Foothills Church, and you know what that required of you. It required that you make a commitment to do four things, that you were gonna attend, you were gonna be here, you were gonna be in a small group, you were gonna give, and you were gonna serve. Some of you are not being faithful to that commitment, so you're not living with integrity. Like, you, you don't have to become a partner here at our church. In, in fact, if God's not calling you to partner with the mission here, then, then don't. There are a lot of churches that you can go to, but if we're saying that, okay, I'm going to partner with this church and I'm gonna be here and this is what it means, then if I'm gonna be a person that lives with integrity, I'm gonna do what I say I'm gonna do. If the church can't count on you, how can lost people count on you? If, if your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ can't count on you to be here and to show up and to serve and to give, then, then what are we even doing? Like, I, I'm doing a series on impacting our culture. We're not even close to that. We're not even impacting other people who claim the name of Jesus. So this is a bit of a gut check moment. That's why it's really quiet in here. <laughs> Listen, this is the life of Daniel. He's living with character. He's living with integrity. And the result of living with integrity is God's blessing and God's favor and God moving you in a direction to do incredible things. This is a life of faithfulness that he gives. Remember here what Daniel is at, right? Where he is. He's a slave and he's in the city and country of Babylon, right? It gets conquered by another group. So not only is he living with integrity in this moment, but here's the other thing he's doing. He's loving people well. You don't get promoted if you're not caring faithfully for the people that you're serving. Right? He, he, he's a slave, but he's, in, he's genuinely loving and caring for, first of all, the Babylonians, and now this whole new regime that's come in. And so they, they show him favor. He gets promoted. And I have to assume, man, that he is loving people well through this because you just don't, you just don't get this promotion unless you are loving people well. Listen, when you demonstrate trust in God, you're gonna love people well. You're gonna care about those that don't know Jesus. You're gonna care about those who might be living in sin. You see, what happens in Christians' life sometimes is when they see someone in their community who's living in sin, they give them the Heisman. They give them the stiff arm. They cut them off, they don't wanna have anything to do with them, they don't wanna talk to them, they wanna avoid them. In, in, in church life it happens, in the, in the community it happens. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, love everybody that's not sinful. <laughs> and his whole life was interacting with people who were in sin. He interacted with me, a sinner, and continues to do so. So how do we love people well in our community? We have to, we have to be able to put ourselves in their shoes. 
You have to be able to see from someone else's perspective. You've gotta be able to see that, oh, okay, here's why they're going through this. See, everyone is sinning out of a feeling in their life. They have a feeling of being alone. They have a, a feeling of being fearful. They have a feeling that they don't matter. And so they're grasping for something in their life that would make them feel like they matter. And, and as a result of that feeling, that emptiness, we sin. And so let's, let's go to a specific example here, someone that might, might struggle with the same sex attraction. So if, if that is someone in your life, have you just disowned them and rejected them? Or have you been able to love them well? And, and have you been able to identify with their pain and their loss or whatever it is that they've dealt with? Put yourself in their shoes and to be able to have a genuine relationship with them that would show them love. Now, now how do we do that? How do we love people well without accepting sin? Well, this is, this is something that as Christians in general, we're not great at, but it's something that we need to improve at. We need to get better at this. We need to be able to understand how to love well and how to be able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Listen, it's really easy to do this when you think about it. It's easy to put yourself in someone else's shoes because you have been tempted to do something that God says is wrong and you've done it anyway. You've done something that God says is harmful. You did it anyway. Same as any other sinner. Their attraction or their issue might be different. Maybe for you it was, you know, you, you, you got too drunk or drunk in general. You just get angry and yell at people. For, for you it's, it's, it's pride and, and, and all that you care about is yourself. And so their sin is different. It's different than your pain and your loss and what you're going through. But you can relate to anyone if you just understand and try to understand that we sin out of a feeling, out of a loss, out of pain. And there's, you know, this person's pain is just different than yours, but you've done it too. So as we begin to do that, as we begin to think in that vein, then we're able to, to, to really have empathy. Then we're able to have conversations that say, you know what, uh, I, I, I care about you. I genuinely love you as a person and I want you to know that. I might disagree with your lifestyle, I do believe that God has, a, has a, a, a purpose for your life that's different. I do believe that that's a harmful lifestyle, but I want you to know that if you ever wanna read the Bible together, if you ever have questions about God, I want you to know that I am always here for you. Just send me a text, let's get together, let's talk. Because the reality is that what we need to do better in our culture is we need to build bridges to have conversations and stop burning those bridges. We need to have these bridges that allow us to have conversation and influence in people's life. We've gotta genuinely love people, love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't mean I have to agree with sin, but if your political view is different than mine, that doesn't mean that I burn the bridge with you. That means that if there's any way that I can have a conversation with you that maybe lines up with scripture that would lead us to think differently, let's do that. And at the end of the day, I might be wrong because you're not trusting in me Maybe let's make that clear to our friends. Don't trust in me. Don't bank on what I'm saying here. Let's go to this text that we believe has been breathed out by our creator. Because if he's real and this is true, then it brings a lot of clarity into our life. So if you wanna have a conversation about that, let's do it. And I think in that tone, in that way, we could have a lot more influence in our world than what we're seeing right now. In verses six through nine, 
the, the leaders of the country are really upset with Daniel. Uh, again, if, if you are living with character and God is blessing you and, and promoting you, they're gonna, they're gonna be haters all around. They're not gonna enjoy it. They're not gonna like you advancing and getting this attention. And this is true for Daniel as well. And so they, 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 they know there's no fault in him. There's no way you know, we're gonna be able to, to, to find anything to, to accuse him of. He's, he's too faithful. Right? He's, he's, he's walking with his God. And so the only way that we're gonna be able to get him trapped is we know that he's not gonna deny his God. So let's do something. And so what they do is they come up with this new law. And they go to the king and they say, okay, king, for 30 days, we're gonna make a law that you, we can only pray to you as our God. And anybody else that prays to any other God is gonna get thrown into the lion's den. Are you good with that, king? And he's like, yeah, sounds good to me. So they sign this into law. And then in verse 10, here's what Daniel does. If anybody prays to their God, in other words, if anybody worships their God other than King Darius, then they're gonna be thrown into the lion's den, right? It would cause us to ask a few questions at this moment. Verse 10, here's what it says. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew it was signed. He knew it was a law. What'd he do? He went to his house where he had his windows in his upper, upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. In other words, he did not change his routine. He'd been doing this for a long time. This is who he was. He was gonna worship and nobody was gonna stop him. No king, no law was gonna stop him from connecting with his God. If you're taking notes, here's the next thing to write down. Worship God openly. If you wanna make an impact in your community, if you wanna make an impact in your family, worship God openly. Daniel goes home and he opens up the windows <laughs> so that everybody could see him. He prayed three times a day, which I think is important. Three times a day, which means you've gotta plan your prayer time. You can't just say when I get to it because you never get to it. We're, we're just creatures of habit. We get distracted. That's just human nature. So schedule it. First thing in the morning, I wanna pray. Before I eat any meal, I wanna pray. Before I go to bed every night, I wanna pray. For my life, anytime I have a meeting, I wanna pray before that meeting. And so what, what does that routine look like for you? For Daniel, he goes home and he throws open the windows and, and, and he wants everybody to see that he is still worshiping and praying to his God. And I think a lot of people in this room today work hard at keeping the window shut. You work hard at trying to make your faith private. You don't want anybody to know. You're embarrassed to pray before a meal. Now listen, praying before your meal is not a biblical thing. It's not, we do in our family, we always do. It's not, it's not something that I feel like is commanded, but it's just, a, I think, a healthy habit, and so we do that whether we're out, out in a restaurant or at home, and I can tell you how many times after we've done that, somebody uh, uh, will come up and say, hey, I saw you guys praying, wanted you to know that really blessed me. I'm glad people still do that. You think, how, why, why did that bless him? Because when you are authentically worshiping Jesus Christ, people look at you and they go, Why? Why is that guy praying right now? Why does he think it works? Why are they singing to him? Why do they go to church? Why are they serving? They don't have to be here. Why do they give? Why do they do all this? You see, it raises questions. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament. He says, when unbelievers come in, you don't want it to be confusing in here. You want it to be consistent and you want it to be orderly so that when people see you worshiping God, they will say, why do you have this kind of hope? Why do you have this? And it 
It creates conversations. And this is, I think, what Daniel is doing here. I mean, Daniel is openly worshiping. Some of you don't wanna pray in public. Some of you are afraid to even say that you're a Christian. Maybe some people know that you go to church, but that's the, the extent of your conversation with them about religion or about faith or about Jesus or about prayer, and that is an indictment upon our faith. We are trying in a free nation. We don't have to worry about going to jail, and we are in fear that somebody might find out that we're a Christian and they might not accept us in their friend group or we might not get the promotion. People in China are dying for their faith. If they do what Daniel did here and openly worship, they go to jail. So, you know, I would apply it differently in China than I would here in America. Maybe that's not the, 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 the most helpful thing to do if you live in that country, in a communist country like that, how else can we influence the country? But I think for our context, this is a powerful way to begin to influence people in your world. I think it's an indictment, dads. If you aren't able to pray with your kids, how in the world can you call yourself a spiritual leader? If you can't pray with your family, if you can't prioritize that, I pray God just smacks you right in the gut today and you go home today and you make it a habit and you never go another day without lifting up the name of Jesus in front of your family. Like how can we call ourselves even followers of Jesus if we can't talk to God? I just don't see how it's happened in America, but it has and it's rampant in the church. I love how he bows on his knees I think this is, this is something that we need to pick up on. When we bow, it's, it's, I think posture is important. When we bow on our knees before God, it reminds me, it humbles me that I'm not just talking to a genie in the sky, hoping he's gonna give me all my wishes. No, I am bowing before the creator of the universe, the sovereign Lord and King of kings. May he have mercy on my soul. So I humbly wanna come before him. Again, you don't have to do that every time, but I wonder how many people make that a habit in their life. How many people kneel before God in prayer? I think it's a great, great posture. So we need to worship God openly today. We need to worship him openly and make sure that people around us know that we are in fact followers of Jesus. You say, why? I say, when people see that, when people know that, then they know who to come to when they have questions. They know why you're genuinely loving them. They know why you genuinely have a good attitude. If you just have a good attitude, you might just be reading a bunch of Oprah Winfrey books. <laughs> you know, you might just be reading a bunch of Joel Osteen and you're just happy all the time because whatever, it's nothing about the gospel, it's nothing about living for Jesus. It's just about, ah, oh, just have a good attitude. That's weak. No, I have a good attitude because I serve a king. His name is Jesus. And no matter what I face, I'm, I'm looking to him. I'm looking to heaven because I I believe he's got purpose behind everything. You see, your worship is under attack, whether you realize it or not. Our worship in America is under attack, and you and I need to make some decisions today, and you need to begin to teach your children today and equip them for the season in their life that things begin to change in America. I'm not a prophet, I'm not claiming to be, but I do think it's gonna change. Guys like Robert Francis O'Rourke, you know him as Beto, whatever he wants to be called, He's a Democratic presidential candidate. 
And this past week, go home and look it up, he said on camera that he will take away the tax-exempt status of churches if they do not believe in same-sex marriage. I mean, that's happening now. There's a war against our worship. In 2009, when gay marriage was legalized, it was, what do you care if we wanna love each other? Shouldn't, you shouldn't matter, shouldn't care. We're not gonna bother you. Just let us, we just wanna be treated equal, right? All sounded flowery. Now in 2019, they're saying, if you don't bow to the sexual revolution, you're gonna lose your tax-exempt status. And the next time, it's gonna be some freedom of potentially whatever. It's just another stepping stone, folks. So how will you respond? I'll tell you how I'll respond. By the, by the grace of God, this is what I desire and what I hope and what I want, and I pray that God would keep me in line with his, with his will. But if that was a decision that we had to make today, I would gladly lose my tax-exempt status as a church to honor the fact that marriage is between one man and one woman to the glory of God. Now, some of you would leave our church when that happens. Some of you would stop giving to our church if that happens because then you wouldn't get any tax credit. Because let's face it, there's a majority of people that give to the church because they want the tax credit. Then we're gonna begin to tell and we're gonna begin to see who really is about the kingdom of God. I believe that's part of what God's gonna bring into the church in the future is, is, is that those trials and adversity in our country to really shake it up and to see who's really real. And so I think it's gonna happen soon, but, but I also think it's, it's, it's for our children's sake that we equip them and, and train them and and, and help them to see that, listen, we can, we can love people genuinely. We can have influence in them, but we can also stand for God's truth in a respectful way and live according to his truth. And if we can begin to get this right, I believe that we can begin to change our country and our culture. We can definitely begin to change our family and prepare them for what trials will come their way. In verse 10, he says three times a day he prayed. Uh, prayed. He prayed on his knees I think this, again, is a great uh, way for us to see that posture is important when we're actually in prayer. In verses 11 through 15, it says that the je jealous leaders tell the king that Daniel is, in fact, praying. He's just doing it openly, king. He just continues to pray, and uh, he wants everybody to see, and according to your law, you signed the law, so you got to do it. And uh, the king was upset. He didn't want it to happen. He didn't want to send Daniel to the lions then because he genuinely liked the guy. Again, I think it's evidence that he, he, he was genuinely concerned and showed love to the king. He, he wanted to serve him well, even though he was a pagan. And, and there was a relationship there. I think that speaks volumes to us, whoever your boss is, whoever our president is. And so as a result of this, they throw him into the lion's den. The king didn't want to. He lost sleep about it. He fasted all night. He was thinking of a way to try to get out of this law, but it was a law and he could not change it. And so they throw Daniel into the lion's den. Let's look at the next verse here, verse 19, it says this. Then at break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. So he was, he was running. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually. Let's pause right here, circle that. Has your God who you serve continually. In other words, when things aren't going well, you serve God continually. 
When it didn't look like God was answering your prayer, did you serve him continually? Did you put your face on the ground even when someone close to you passed away, even when you lost the relationship, even when you didn't get the job, even when you are confused, do you continually worship him? When you face the lion's den moment in your life, have you continually served God and worshiped God? Mm, great question. The king could tell that he served continually. And has this God, he says, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lion. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before you and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So because he was blameless before the king, he had done no harm, he maintained his integrity, he maintained his genuine love, he maintained his worship openly, God blessed him and God brought him through the fire. God brought him through his lion's den moment. You know, God is in control of the lions. You know, he is sovereign in all your circumstances today. The lion's not able to cause any harm to you unless the Lord allows it. I think that's important for us to remember. We're all faced with all kinds of dangerous situations. We're, we're all you know, facing some uncomfortable situations, some challenges, but we can trust that, that God is sovereign. He's in control, he's protecting us. He's overseeing our situation. And when we face this adversity, we just like Daniel, we can't back down. You can't back down from this moment. This is the moment that potentially God is bringing into your life so that you can see that in this lion's den moment, you have a lion's den kind of faith. That you're gonna trust him. That you're gonna serve him. That you're gonna give to him financially and prioritize that. Like when we send people overseas, like that costs money. When we come to God, this is just not a tip that we give to him, whatever's in our pocket. Every October, our attendance dips and our giving dips. This is, these are just facts. This, is just, this isn't a feeling or an idea for me, it's facts. Why? There's a couple of guesses I would make. I think obviously fall break is a huge part of that. But whether you're here or not here, there are ways to continually honor God with your finances. And so, I think the reality is some people just go on vacation, spend money on themselves, then continue to give to God. It's happened every year since I've been here. So what that tells me is it's a hard issue. <laughs> it's a hard issue if I'm gonna take money that belongs to God and use it on myself. And so these aren't popular things to talk about in, in, in church, but I look at Daniel. He's literally putting his life on the line for his faith. And we just live our comfortable little lives cry and complain when the fast food line doesn't move fast enough, when the waitress doesn't bring back, you know, our water fast enough, or when they overcharge us, get frustrated because we've got to sit in traffic for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? Got to sit in traffic. What kind of world is this? We watch the news and get so depressed and uptight and upset because of all of this stuff and chaos that's going on. As if God's not in control, why do you put that poison into your mind anyway? God is calling us to something deeper. God is not just sending us to this world to endure it and then die. 
<laughs> that's just it. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And I wonder today if you've, if you've accepted it, if you're walking in it. You see, I think here's the secret, boil it down this entire series. If we want to, in fact, make an impact in our culture, if we're gonna live like Daniel, it kind of boils down to this. The secret to standing strong is kneeling often. You wanna stand strong at work? You wanna be a man of God? Kneel often. Get your knees on the ground, get your face on the ground and worship your God in secret and private. Worship your God for who he is, no matter what situation you're facing, no matter what situation you're going through and tell him that no matter what your answer is to this prayer, I choose you. I seek you. You may not heal. You may not change. You may not do this. The answer might be not yet. The answer might be no. But no matter what your answer is, God, I'm saying yes to you. I'm serving you. I'm trusting you. This is open worship. This is the life he's calling us to live. And we can only do that because of the power of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. You know, there's a lot of comparisons to Daniel and, and Jesus. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and they roll a stone in front of the door. Jesus is crucified. He, he, they, they lay him into a grave and they roll a stone in front. The king of Persia would put a seal, put a, a, a seal, king seal over the stone uh, to make sure Daniel is not stolen or taken or, or let out. When Jesus is crucified, laid in the grave, the stone is over and the Romans put the seal over the, the, the stone. But just as David, just as Daniel was saved by the lions, Jesus Christ conquered the enemy, the lion as well. He rose from the grave. The tomb is empty today. And because he conquered sin and death, because he paid the price for your sin and for my sin, you and I can have a relationship with God. We get to pray to God. We get to seek God. We get purpose and hope. We get a life that could ultimately bring us joy. We get a life where we partner with the living God. And it's because of him that we can live a life that influences our culture around us. We're gonna close this series with the Lord's Supper and I'm gonna pray in just a moment. And before anyone moves and gets into position, this is a moment where if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, we take the juice to remember the blood that was poured out on the cross for our sins. We take the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus, that his body was broken, his blood was spilled for my sins. Sin is a serious issue and he took my place, he took your place. And so that's why we remember it. And as we pass this out in just a moment, the scripture tells us to examine our heart, examine our life. Maybe there's some sin that you need to confess to God. There's an opportunity and space in this room for you to do that. You connect with him, you confess sin to him, you commit your life to him yet again and say, God, this is the kind of life I wanna live. And uh, the way that we do it here is we'll pass out the bread and the juice at the same time and, and then uh, we're gonna give you some time to pray and you just take it when you're ready and then we're gonna close in a song together. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we look at Daniel and uh, it's just such an encouragement and sometimes it can just be a, a flat out smack in the face that we're just not where we need to be today. But I praise you that you've shown us the way and you're showing us the direction. And so today we just pray that this would just be another step in our journey that, that for those who are facing this challenge that they would have a lion's den faith that changes the world that our faith would grow and be strengthened and that we'd focus on you and serve you and keep you first, that our knees would be on the ground, our face would be on the ground, praying consistently for deliverance, consistently to worship you. In this moment, God, may we reconnect with you as we take the bread and the juice, God, to remind ourselves of the death that you paid for us on the cross. We celebrate, we remember that, and we know that that has brought us victory over sin today. So Lord, we celebrate you, we worship you. We know that you are with us. We know that you are with us, God. We know that no matter what we face, God, you are on your throne, that you have a will and you have a plan and we submit to that plan today, God. You have walked with us through the fire before. You will walk with us through the fire in the future. And I pray, God, that you would lift us up in this moment as we lift you up in prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.